much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78, 12 o'clock, don't be late. I said all this horror business. My mirrors are black for you. You don't go in the bathroom with me. Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lore. And I'm Liam Adama. Did you just clap? To get started, yeah. Like, all right, let's do this. Yes. <laughs> okay. I thought you were doing the clap. Like, people do the clap for the sound check. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't need to do that. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> you are listening to episode 50 of Horror Business. Are we on 50? We are on 50. We should have planned something special. We should have, uh, you know, like a, maybe a thing like this song that is still the one. Maybe yeah. Um, or like special guests or special movies. I mean, to be fair, every time we record, I am slowly and methodically masturbating as we record. That's not true. So that's special because I'm just, you know, I'm just stroking at just a... He's doing it. A slow, precise rate. Just very focused. We don't have anything really special today except, I guess, the movies aren't even really themed. These are just no, two random picked, movies. We definitely just picked two movies. Are you sure it's 50? I thought it was 49. No, last episode was 49. I don't remember. You keep better track. Than I do. This, these movies are just thrown together and I kind of like that. I've never seen either of these movies. We are going to be talking about 1971's Let Us Scare Jessica. No, is it, is it Let Us Scare Jessica? It's Let's Scare Jessica to Death. I was going to make a T.S. Eliot. Oh, uh, yeah. Love Song of Jeffrey or the, you know, Let Us... Stop being literary. God damn it. And then 1986's Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, okay. let's. There are t- to me, there were two connecting threads for these movies. Which are? One, unnecessarily long title. Okay. <laughs> two, low budget. These are both low Very budget, low budget. Uh, horror movies. And I think it's interesting to compare them because they are thematically so different, you know? I also, Let's Scare Jessica to Death is also technically, quote unquote, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, because in the poster and in the title sequence of the movie, it's in quotation marks, like, let's scare Jessica to death, like that's what someone said. The weirdest part, okay, we're going to get to this, Yeah, but I will suggest that um, the title is weird. It's a little weird. Spoiler alert. It's very weird. The title is weird. There is no us. There is no... Us. There is no someone saying. Have you ever seen? Oh, okay. I'm gonna spoil something really quick for people in case they haven't seen it. But have you ever seen April Fool's Day? No. Okay, never mind then. Okay. <laughs> Add that to the list of movies. People who've seen April Fool's Day will immediately understand why the title "Let's Scare Jessica to Death" would actually be better for that. Whatever. This episode is brought to you by our beloved. Patreon subscribers. We, we'd love to have some more love. We'd love to love some more subscribers. Yeah, I mean, we do this out of the... We, we, we do this because we love horror movies. We love talking, obviously. <laughs> but it, there are costs to running a podcast, and it helps when people, you know, they're like, hey, here's a little... Here's a little something like we really, truly, greatly, even if it's like just a dollar, that's, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, you don't have to do that. And if, if you do, we are deeply grateful. So thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Get at us because mm-hmm. we have stuff to give to you. Um, side note, someone expressed interest in horror business sweatpants. Who? What? It's a listener. 
Someone message me. Jesus Christ. The only way I will do hard business sweatpants, the only way I'll do them, will be if it is a Morbid Angel ripoff with the logo numerous times down the leg. That is the only way I'll do it. I mean, look, in my mind, for us to do hard business sweatpants, we'd have to sell a lot more hard business t-shirts. That's what I'm saying. I just wanted to bring it up on the record, so it's in the ether. I mean, I'm not against it. But I think it's funny. It's a weird. It's a weird thing that for someone to request. But. I think I brought it up once. I think. I think. I think I thought it out loud on an episode, and someone like sure. took me to task and held me accountable. Now, if we were to get Harvest of sweatpants, where do you think we would get those printed? Interesting. I know just the place. There's a. Uh, it's the same place that is also helping bring this episode, the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, which is the premier. Screen printing company of the Lehigh Valley. Whether you need sweatpants, hats, socks, thongs, cod pieces, capes, bigger capes, or short sleeve hoodies that you can wear to the gym, triple triple tall triple short triple hoodies. tall short sleeve hoodies, raglan hoodies, you can get those printed at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations with a top notch staff of talented and patient professionals, quote-unquote professionals, they will help you take your embryonic vision out of the womb that is your mind and bring it slimy and screaming into creation. Jesus Christ. You really did a number on that metaphor. I really did. I also, this is, this is, since this is an audio medium, you didn't get to see the pantomime I was doing. It's very dramatic. Uh so yeah, if you have something for your David Bowie fan club called Lads Insane, it's a little David Bowie thing coming at you, you can go there, you get it printed up, they will help you take your design that you sort of know what you want and they'll make it into something you definitely know. They'll tweak it. They'll say, hey, this weave would go better with that. This t-shirt would go better with that. Um, if you want like a breathable fabric, they'll do that. Uh, they'll work with you. So if... Anything that I just said piqued your interest and didn't turn you off getting t-shirts printed by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, you can go to www.xlvacx.com for more information on how to contact them and put your order in. If you do a podcast and you're not getting t-shirts printed by them, you're fucking up. I'm just, I'm just saying it. So, one more time. I mean, I assume most of our audience are just other people who do podcasts. Probably. So hey yo, or lonely weirdos in dark basements who were just angry. Oh no, I feel bad for our listening audience. I mean, that basically describes us at the moment. I'm not angry at the moment. Describes me at the moment. <laughs> so www.xlvacx.com. One more time. That's www.xlvacx.com. Don't let the X's fool you. Okay, X Jacob Roberts X. I'm hoping this doesn't apply to you either. Chris Reject is not anything in the same universe as Straight Edge. The closest thing to being Straight Edge that Chris Reject is is one time he was at a party with me and he drank a beer, so it doesn't count. So, www.xlvacx.com for more information on LVAC apparel creations. It's the worst promotion I've ever done. Now comes the time in the podcast where I ask Liam, I say, hey, Liam. Have you done anything recently involving horror horror movies? No. That's not true. <laughs> um, well, you know, we, it's been a, here's the thing, y'all. 
we don't record as often as we would like, uh, just because we have lives and I have a child. You have a life and a child. <laughs> you have things going on. None of them are good. One, you have a job. Go on them. Two, you go to the gym and work out. Like three times a week if I'm lucky. Three, you have friends in the valley. You do fun things. Four, you're a coxman. That's not <laughs> at all true. Five, you're always hunting crypto terrestrials. I make memes about non-dairy yogurt <laughs> on Instagram. That's the that's 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 uh, the breadth of my social life. Six, you're working on a very good script. I am, yes. So all that to say, we're busy. So when you said recently, my first thought was, nah, I watched Apostle on Netflix. That's about it. I didn't see that. Oh, man. But uh, actually, since the last time we recorded, uh, a very important event went down, and that is the Exhumed Films 24-Hour Harathon. Mm. Uh, we talked about it pretty extensively on Cinepunks. You can go check that out if you want. Um, you can also look online. They have the list of movies. I will simply say that I had never seen... As a lot of people have never seen Great White mm. or uh, The Last Shark, uh, it's an Italian Jaws ripoff. Did Bruno Mattei direct that? I don't actually know. <laughs> what I do know is that it's it's like near impossible to find. Is that like Cruel Jaws or like the Romanian thing? Um, no, it's definitely Italian uh, because this is okay. So this is what makes um, Exhumed Film so cool. They have a print. They find a print. Let's just say they find. Let's say that first of all. They find a print. They just out in the woods and they're like, oh, look at this. They look. find a print of this movie, which no one's seen. No, this is Enzo G. Castellari. It's a good name. It's a good Irish and, name. Um, this movie, though it did play in theaters in America, was never released on home video. Okay. And in fact, the copy they have has no subtitles. It's all in Italian. How'd that work? Well... Uh, they basically had a friend sit in front of the movie. Hang on a it was so good that you didn't need to understand what they were saying. They basically had a friend sit in front of the movie with the Italian subtitles and then type them into Google Translate. And then they projected those onto the screen as they played the film. That's an experience. It was amazing. And like, I'm, here's the thing, y'all. We have a hard podcast, but I think me and Justin will both admit we're not necessarily the deep crate diggers that some horror fans are. It's the same, I think, with our relationship with music. Like We have pretty broad uh, music appreciation, but we're not necessarily dropping 600 bucks on a fucking obscure <laughs> Japanese record or uh, some shit. A, Face of Change is the best Japanese hardcore band of all time, and B, In the Clear, is the premier late 90s London straight-edge band, and you could take that to the fucking bank. The point is, is that we aren't the kind of people that when the title sequence comes up, it says, The Last Shark... At least me and Josh, and I bet Justin the same, we wouldn't have been like, holy shit, this is Enzo Castellari's Lost Master. I was just like, oh, cool, Italian. It's an Italian movie about a shark. That to, seems to be, cool. To, to be fair, before you go defending my merits on that, you speak for yourself, and I respect that. I am the type of asshole everyone was like rightfully losing their mind over the haunting of Hill House. I'm the one in the background going, but Absentia was good too. Why isn't you even talking about Absentia? Because... But okay, but Absentia is a well-known, accessible movie. This is a movie. This is a movie that you couldn't have fucking seen, and that a bunch of people in the crowd were like, "Holy shit! It's it's great white!" Like they fucking knew what it was, and I was like, 
oh. It's like when you're at a show and a band that you're appreciating is like, all right, here's our cover. And then you've never heard it. You've never heard this cover. And and a lot of other people have never heard the cover. But there's about 50 people that you think, are those 50 people cooler than the rest of us because they know every word? I don't know. Yeah. So I, in other words, I wasn't stoked on this in the way that some people were because I didn't know anything about this movie. I didn't know how rare it was. I didn't know anything about it. That being said, it was very enjoyable. It, it was... Here's what you want in a Jaws ripoff. Okay, the, my, want, my next question was was going to be, was it merely a Jaws ripoff? It is merely a Jaws ripoff in which they say, you know what would be really cool is when the shark attacks, it basically leaps out of the... It looks like what they did was take this rubber giant rubber shark okay. and, and every attack scene shot it out of a cannon in the water because everything is just the shark out of the water with whatever fake body it's like fake eating what year was this movie made 1981 gotcha uh yeah it's uh it's an obscure movie i guess i I don't know it must have a cult following but the point is it was a lot more fun than i thought it would be i was kind of thinking like ugh, jaws ripoff like unless your movie's named alligator i probably don't like your jaws ripoff that's just a general yeah, that's just a general rule. Yeah. Even Orca I didn't love. I feel like it kind of fizzled. Yeah. But Great White doesn't fizzle. Now, it doesn't have the... T- I mean, it's not Jaws. No, but nothing. A few movies are. But uh, but most Jaws ripoffs, I think, at least the ones I've seen, try to be as serious or as intense mm. as Jaws. And this movie's like, not that. Gotcha. <laughs> it's like, what are the most ridiculous things we could do with this fucking shark? By the way, the whole thing with the movie is the event you know, in Jaws, the mayor doesn't want to ruin the beach season. Yes. And this, uh, the mayor, which, by the way, this whole movie's set in America, even though it's Italian. No one speaks English. <laughs> and their image of America is so crazy. In fact, their view is that there would be a giant citywide windsurfing competition. Of course. And this fucking shark's going to ruin the windsurfing competition. And they actually stretch a gigantic net across the whole front of this inlet that's going to keep the shark out from ruining their windsurfing competition. Does it keep the shark out? Oh yeah, and then the movie's over. It's crazy. Oh, that's no! weird. The shark just rips through that shit. It doesn't even have a chance. It's a it is meant to be a massive shark, like an irrationally. At one point, some people are diving to try to kill the shark, and the shark just smashes a cave to trap them in a cave. As sharks are wont to do. Yeah, the shark's just like, fuck you guys. It just <laughs> anyways point is see this movie so that was one of the highlights uh that i had never seen okay and another one is a movie called fade to black have you heard about this no but i like the title it's a guy is obsessed he's very obsessed with movies he's so obsessed with movies he has trouble relating to other people and that's weird i don't know anyone like that yeah it's weird it's it's not like i see that person every time i look at a reflective surface yeah but i think you've murdered less people than this guy because eventually he ends up murdering people gotcha and it's yeah, I thought it was really good. It kind of fizzled towards the end. Like the ending's a little extended, but it was so weird. It was a lot of fun. So, does he eat a gratuitous, excessive amount of delicious dairy-free yogurt? No. Okay, then it's not me. So, anyways, just thanks to Exhumed for Harathon, and uh, they have a they have a Italian um, Giallo Christmas fest coming up. That should be a lot of fun. Sounds so, awesome. Uh, I think they're calling it Yellow Christmas. So I like that. Giallo stands for. Yeah. I like that. So uh, I would check it out. I think. Um, I think there's a couple of Argentos in there and some other more obscure cellos. I don't, I don't, I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, if you go to exhumfilms.com or if you look up Exhum Films on Facebook, you'll find it, as well as uh, their space that they're trying to open up in South Jersey that'll be a retro film space and arcade and movie store. 
Cool. So, check it out. Can I just say that Yellow Christmas sounds like a porno where Santa's in the water sports? Oh, yeah. Okay. Edit that out, Jacob. <laughs> Don't edit that out, please. Uh, 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 and then the only other thing I did that was very specifically horror was I watched that movie Apostle on Netflix. Good. So this is uh, Gareth Evans. Yes. Starring, um, what is this dude's name from Downton Abbey that's in this thing? Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens. Yes. Also uh, from Legion. Also from Legion. Shout out to the Final Girls. He's a fan favorite of theirs. Yeah. I appreciate him in the movie The Guest. Mm-hmm. I like Legion too, although I haven't watched season two. I need to get on it. Season two is apparently like a complete mind fuck. I'm into that. I mean, not, not that the first one was this linear, rational thing anyway. Um, Apostle, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. It's very new, um, so I don't want to get too hard into it, really. I, I will simply say that um, it is definitely a movie that is about the horror of, of people. And I like I like when a movie can pull it off. Yeah. There's no monster. Well, there's supernatural stuff going on, but the point is this, these creepy people. And I like that it's about the people and I like that it's able to pull that off. And I think Dan Stevens does a really intense, interesting performance and the movie. It's one of those movies that um, relies a lot more on tension than it does on gore and violence. I can fuck with that. But then when it does get violent, it gets super gory. It's like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then a dude's getting his hand chopped up or his throat slashed. And it's not in like a, that would never happen way. It's like, okay, this is what's happening now. Yeah. But it's done in a way that you're like, oh, gross. Oh, oh, gross. Okay. Hmm. And I, I like, I actually prefer that to the movies in which it's like, oh, this dude just got a knife in him. No big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, I thought it was well done. So anyways, uh, I highly recommend it. Other than that, I mean, I'm not taking a break from horror or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, October's a lot. So I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of taking it a little bit easy. And, and I would actually highly recommend if you don't have it or for people who have it, um, try to get in your last film struck watching before it goes away. Yes. Cause that's sad. Now I did see announced today that criterion is going to start doing their, their own, own thing, channel, yeah. which is cool. But you know, film struck had more than just criterion. So I'm still sad it's going away, but yeah. I'm glad that I'll have access to the criterion stuff. Uh, that's about it. Justin, what have you done? That's horror related. A uh, bunch of shit. Um, it was Halloween. So I did that. Um, I saw, I what this, okay, so let's, let's start with some of the movies that I watched. Um, <clears throat> there's a movie going around that's getting like a lot of, or got a lot of hype because it's been out for a minute now, uh, Terrifier. I had watched a film last time I talked about a movie called Terrified, now I'm watching the movie about the Terrifier. Um, I have like mixed feelings on this movie, uh, because when I was watching it, after the opening like 10 to 15 minutes, I was like kind of bored by it. Uh, I thought the ending was like outrageous and like intense, but outrageous and intense does not translate to good. Um, but the more I like, and what's weird about this is I, I put something on Instagram about it and it was very polarizing. There are people who are like, this movie is the worst movie I've ever seen. And then there were people who were like, this movie was amazing. And I think uh, I was speaking with someone about this, I forget who, and they had said, while this isn't a good movie, it's definitely the perfect movie that if you're at like a party, if this is playing in the background, you just watch it and you don't need to know what's going on. Um, 
but similarly to the way I felt about films like Creep and Lords of Salem, when I was watching them, I was like, this is, this is dumb. But this movie stayed in my head for like a minute. Um, and then I, I watched an interview with the actor who played the main character, the evil Art the Clown. And he was just a guy. And he was saying how he had based his performance a lot on like the physical physical comedy of like Charlie Chaplin and like Buster Keaton. And watching him talk about that and then thinking about the way the movie played out, I was like, okay, I can appreciate that, that this guy took that approach to it. It wasn't just like, I'm going to put clown makeup on and act like an asshole. It was a very like structured and um, deliberate approach to the character. And that made me appreciate it a little bit more. I'm not saying it's a great movie. Like I said, there's definitely an element of like... Um, shittier aspects of a Marilyn Manson video to it. <laughs> but uh, overall, it's definitely like, again, if you want, like, if if in a year, roughly a year, you need, like, a good movie to watch on, like, an October night, you won't be disappointed with this movie. Uh, I also watched a movie called Cold Skin. Did you did you hear about this? Uh, it came out, it's like a, I think it's an American production. Um, it takes place in the, Opening days of World War One, a English gentleman goes to. He is sent to a meteorological meteorological station, a weather station, on this deserted island, um, just outside the Arctic Circle, like the South Atlantic. And it's like him, and there's like one other. There's like a lighthouse there, and there's like the, him and the lighthouse keeper. They find out that there's all this like weird, spooky shit going on in the island, and. Uh, it's in the trailer, so I'll just say it. They're const- it's it's sort of like a castle siege movie, but instead of zombies, it's uh like like evil Abe Sapiens just coming out of the ocean and like trying to kill them every night. And it becomes this whole thing of um I mean, I guess there's a touch of like white savior complex to it, because at some point like the the guy starts to like sympathize with the the deep ones, because that's what they are. They're not they're totally the fucking children of Cthulhu. Uh but I liked it. Uh there was a few pretty intense scenes, um, you know, well shot, spooky stuff, and the creature design was pretty cool. Uh, what else did I watch? Oh, I watched a movie called uh, Stillborn, Still Slash Born, uh, written by Colin Minahan, who did, he's like one of the Vicious Brothers. I didn't get, get the name of the guy who directed it, though. It had like a few creepy scenes. It was a movie, it's about this woman who's like, she's supposed to have twins, and like one of the kids is stillborn. And then there's like this evil entity that's like stalking the remaining child. And they they like make it out to be like maybe it's the spirit of the deceased twin. But in the end, it kind of has this uh element of like post what's the word? Like post birth psychosis. You know, like women get when they have babies they go crazy, which is like sort of problematic. And by sort of I mean it really was. Uh, but it had a few creepy moments. It was definitely a movie that wish it had Javier Botet as like the main character. Like, you know, it was the weird mother type thing. But again, if you're looking for a horror movie to watch and just, you just put this on and you'll have fun. Um, oh, also I watched, I, um, I watched a little movie called Slender Man. Why? (laughs) Okay. So bear with me. I'm not saying this movie was good. I'm not even gonna say I like this movie. I am going to say, though, that if the movie had kept up what it started doing in the very beginning, if it had stayed as good as it started out as, this would have been a very good movie. Because it starts out very strong. It starts out 
all cylinders firing from the gate, the horse is galloping. And if it was a horse race, imagine if the horse sprinted about 20 feet and then took a shit and rolled around in the shit and then died. And then somehow just burst into flames and everyone in the stadium died. Uh, it starts out really creepy. There's a nightmare sequence that was chilling. Yeah. And, like, I mean, it was honestly unsettling. But it rapidly became another fucking dumb movie where all this weird shit happens and kids just go on the internet and find out how, you know what I mean? Like, that never happens. Like, right. it's just, it's very like, no, like you can't just go on the internet and find out like, there's there's not a guy who happens to work in the university two towns over who wrote a book on this shit and it just became like... Well, I mean, I think it's that's a little bit of a different trope with Slenderman since Slenderman is a uh, quote-unquote myth that basically just came upon the internet. Yeah. Like, there is no Slender Man without the internet and weird little kids. No, but, it, I mean, uh, the thing that made me most upset with this movie is there is a sequence when this thing is stalking these the, these these characters that was very well executed up until the, it, the, the moment it... Be, so, the moment it becomes shitty is there's a sequence where this girl receives a video call. And the idea of Slender Man calling someone on the phone is ridiculous. So she's like, you know, it's like a video call. She opens it up and it's a, the, the view is like her, the front of her house. So she looks outside of her house. There's no one there, but she can see on the phone. She can see herself in the window and then it starts moving towards the house, but she can't see anyone there. I'm like, okay, this is creepy. And then she watches it go through the house and I'm like, oh, this is pretty spooky. And then it's right outside her door. And then she opens the door and there's no one there. And then it's like, it's like a shot looking at her and she's like looking at there and then it's a shot looking down the hallway. And of course, when it cuts back to her, he's behind her. Ah. And that was when the movie became like, he's so slender though. Justin. He just right under the door. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't even he's see right him. Right under the door. Just to ride her out or she yeah. doesn't even know. So that slender man's a real trickster. If this had been like a short film that was real just tricky, they had compressed it down in like 10 minutes. And it had just been like the nightmare sequences that these girls have when they're having nightmares about them. It would have been like kind of cool. But the fact is that it wasn't. It was a full length movie about bullshit. And it was just dumb. Uh, but he's real slender. Though. He's so slender. And he's a man. He wears a suit. He wears a suit. I like that. Um, I saw someone give a talk once where they were like, um, Slender Man is basically a businessman. And he represents kids in it kids innate anti-capitalist tendencies that slender man is just basically for them their dead capitalist future i and guess just inherently they all know that that it's bad it was so str- it was such a stretch and i was like yo i want to be here with you but this is there's nothing here yeah like, slender man is not a representation of like latent capitalism um it's not is it a representation of the internet uh possibly the net the net possibly uh i also got back into the final season i'm gonna finish it soon the final season of penny dreadful uh they're actually doing another season that's a whole new storyline which i'm okay with it's gonna take place in los angeles that's your that's your that's your current horror news right there uh and while i have a medium uh now nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna go on a rant about the, the shittiness of the walking dead Oh, has and it been bad? No, just the whole thing with like Rick Grimes' last episode. I've mm-hmm. done enough screaming on the internet about that that I don't need to bring it out into this onto this podcast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, have you not seen? I thought you would have seen Overlord by now. I was gonna go last night, but it fucking the wrath of God descended upon yeah, the Lehigh Valley the and crazy. tried to kill me by 
mysteriously flattening all of my tires somehow, <laughs> which I am not going to talk about because it terrifies me. Um, no, I haven't seen Overlord yet, but I want to. I'm sure it was a chupacabra. No. It was a chupacabra. It was the greys. They, with their fingers, they... You're so racist. <laughs> hey, uh, let's go see Overlord. I want to see it. Yeah, I want, I want to see it too. Okay. Fine. We'll fucking see it then. Jesus. I know I've seen something else. I just can't think. God damn it. What did I see? I don't know. All right. It's not a test, man. It's okay. No, I know. But... I, I watched Blockers. It's not horror. I mean, it's kind of horrific how heteronormative it is. But... What is Blockers? Oh, you don't know about this? Oh, it's a comedy. You wouldn't know about it. Never mind. Oh, is it the thing with John Cena where it yeah. says Blockers and yeah. there's a rooster above it? Yeah. You're an asshole. <laughs> I'm just saying. I watched it. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, and that was a horror and how they straight watched Freddie Mercury's, Mercury's life. So that's pretty much all I've done in horror. I've done I've probably done a bunch of other stuff that I'm just forgetting because my my mind is just shitty pudding at this point. And I'm well, just, I mean, we watched two movies for the podcast. For the podcast, for the podcast yes. We're gonna take a quick break. Yeah, very quick. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about 1971's "Let's Scare Jessica to Death," Mrs. Gump. <laughs> <laughs> for a movie so clearly set. Let's scare Jessica to so, death. So clearly set in New England. You're doing your southern accent. Y'all friend Jessica is right here. No, <laughs> I can't even do it. The thing about Miss Jessica. The thing about Miss Jessica. Boy, y'all Miss Jessica sure does care about your education. Oh, Jesus. All right, we'll be right back. Oh, bless your heart. Calling on all the spirits of everyone who's ever died in this house. I'm calling on all the spirits of everyone who's ever died in this house. Jessica. Paramount Pictures presents Let's Scare Jessica to Death.
dreams, or nightmares, madness, or sanity. I don't know which is which. Let's scare Jessica to death. And we are back to talk about 1971's Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Written and directed by John D. Hancock, who directed... You ready for this? Most He directed Jaws 2. Okay, so there's that. But the thing that got my attention on IMDb that he did before this was a movie called Sticky My Fingers, Fleet My Feet. Which has to be like a Victorian-era porno film. Uh, released on August 27th, 1971. Starring Zora Lampert, Barton Heyman, Kevin O'Connor... And a few other people. You know, there's a bunch of other people there. This is one of those movies that you always see, like, it's not like, if you ask, like, like, horror fans, like, what are the top five scariest movies you've ever seen? A lot of them would say, like, The Exorcist or Jaws or Alien or something like that. But this is one of those movies I remember seeing in, like, Bravo's top 100 scariest movie moments. This movie was in, like, the top, like, 15 scariest movies of all time. Wow. And it's just, like, one of those movies that I think is... It's in that weird nether region of like, it's not like a huge well-known movie. Huge well-known. What the fuck? It's not like a widely known movie, but at the same time, it's like, oh yeah, yeah let's get, let's scare Jessica to death. Like, that's definitely a movie that is terrifying. Uh, so I guess the basic plot of this movie is um, Jessica and her husband, they move to this house in the woods with their friend, uh, Woody? They're like weird hippie friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, they move to this mansion in the woods and there's this girl there and I, they're going to like live there and you know, there's antiques they are going to sell in town, whatever. And it's there. They pepper in these, there's these references to like, to Jessica having some sort of like past, uh, psychi- like psychiatric trauma. Um, and when they get to the house, there's a, there's a girl, she's squatting there and I think one of the one of the most telling things is when uh, when they first see her, Jessica like reacts and she's like she's like alarmed, and the first thing the husband says is, "I see her too." Right. So it's like okay, there's something going on there, and then as things progress, Jessica starts seeing these like uh, corpses in the water, all this like nightmarish shit, and she basically starts to unravel. And what's interesting about this title is when I first heard of this movie. And as I was watching it, I was like, "They're gaslighting her. This is all something. They're all in on. They're all in on this to 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 to, to scare her to death. But they're not. There's no conspiracy to scare Jessica to death. It's a weird title. This is what I was saying. It'd be a better title for a movie in which everything seems scary and then it's revealed that it's not real. Yeah, that would be a better ti- use of the title." For this movie, I don't understand it because, okay, the until a certain point in the film, the movie does very well. The whole is our central character cray cray, yes, or is what she's is happening real, yeah, and it builds towards a climax in which it would be hard to believe that what she's experiencing is purely mental projection. Yes, weirdly, the film ends on a note. That's supposed to suggest the opposite. Yeah. Because it ends with her voiceover going, was it real or was it a dream? Uh, That's what I'm saying. I may never know. And you're like, wait a minute. 
a dream lady if that's the extent of your dream you really do need to talk to a psychiatrist you need, like yeah this movie like it, okay i like this movie Okay, that's something you say when you're about to say you don't like a movie. No, because what I'm about to say might sound like I'm, I'm bashing, bashing this movie, but I'm not. This is kind of a disjointed movie, and it doesn't really know what it wants to be or wh- where it wants to go. I think there were vampires involved. I'm not sure. There's definitely this... Emily's a vampire. Emily's a vampire. If Emily is anything... She's a vampire. She is a vampire. Possibly a revenant, definitely a vampire. It's got this like very strange... You know, I know before we were making jokes about, like, let's scare Jessica to death. This movie has a very southern gothic feel to it. I don't know if it's just that there's this, like, huge house out in the woods on a lake, but there's something about this movie that has, like, like a, I can't quite just, it's, like, right on the tip of my tongue. Like, I keep wanting to say it's, like, a Poe short story, but that's not quite it, because that's, like, more New Englandy, which was where this movie actually takes place. Uh, um, to give you a little... A little bit of what you're leaning towards. Okay. According to Wikipedia, literature and film scholars have drawn comparisons between Let's Scare Jessica to Death and Irish novelist Joseph Sheridan Lafonu's novel, Carmilla. That's what I was going to say. Which tells the story of a female vampire. Scholar Nancy West cites the film as one of the several examples of horror films of the 70s that directly lift the premise of the novel and place it in other historical uh, or cultural contexts. Uh, this languid move reimagines Lafonu's Laura as Jessica. Like Carmilla, Emily is a horror of a house guest. I was just about to say, this is like Lafonda's Carmilla. I was just about to say that. No, you weren't going to say anything. <laughs> um, but she asked the question, is Emily an imaginative projection of Jessica's murderous feelings towards her husband? Of Jessica's frustration with the mental condition that has rendered her sadly dependent on men? The film never makes clear. That's what I'm saying. Is like the movie, it, it, it's not a bad thing. It's not a weakness, and it's not a shortcoming on the film's part. But the film definitely presents these like really tantalizing ideas like, are these men in Jessica's life making her life a living hell? Are they? You know, it's like it's like it, 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 like it, it just puts the possibility out there, and then it doesn't really go anywhere with it. So I don't know if I went into this movie with like, oh, I know what this movie's about. It's about gaslighting. Clearly, they're going to fuck with this woman. It's called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Oh, I know. it. But then when that wasn't it, I was just like left confused. I'm inclined to believe that's what it was. I'm inclined to believe this was a shortcoming on, a shortcoming on my part and not on the part of the actual film. Well, I think it's worth pointing out. Okay, so this movie was originally a screenplay uh, written by Lee Couchum. And Lee Couchum's original screenplay was entitled It Drinks Hippie Blood. And it was a humorous satire. How the fuck? What sh- what weird left turn did they make? When <laughs> well, apparently, what happened is that the director Hancock uh, just decided he wanted to do something serious. Uh, so, talking about the script, he says John Hancock turned the screw, so to speak, making it a serious, darker theme. The simplicity of the film worked to pr- uh, perfectly to create a scary mood. So. I mean, I think he stuck around that it was vampires, yeah. but he made it a lot more uh, about Jessica's perception of reality and this idea. So to help you all sort of understand, the movie as it begins is really a movie of two men caring for this woman that they perceive as weak. And we immediately know that she knows that. 
Yes. Because her voiceover from the first second is, don't tell them what you're seeing. They're not going to believe you. Don't tell them what you're seeing. They're not going to, you know, she's walking on these eggshells. She's so afraid to be who she is. Now, that's not to say that who she is maybe isn't sick or something. Like, she's definitely had issues. Yeah. But the film, to me, immediately makes it like, you sympathize with her, and you sympathize with her anxiety about being able to relate to these two men. Yes. One of which is supposed to be her, you know, her husband. Um, why is the other guy there? I don't know. Um, so they go there, and then immediately Emily is a wrench in the system. She makes me... She was so unsettling the entire time she was on screen. And yeah. not just because she looks like what's-his-face from Game of Thrones. Right. Like, she is genuinely menacing from the moment she's on screen. Right. She is like... This character is that okay. This character is that person when you were in college who was at the party that no one really knew who they were, and they just stayed for way too long. Yeah, and they made ever that this character Emily is that person personified. But I understand why someone watching this movie might see Emily as a personification of everything Jessica wants to be. She's free. She doesn't give a fuck what anyone thinks. Yeah, no doubt. She might stay. She might go. She's had trauma, apparently, in her past, but it doesn't she, bother her. She doesn't submit to the... She doesn't swoon for Woody, whatever that fucking yeah, dipshit's name is. I mean, Woody hits on her. That doesn't go anywhere. She doesn't give a fuck about him. Yeah. Then she basically seduces Jessica's husband by just smiling and giggling. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, all she has to do is just be like, oh, hi. And then he's just like, well, Okay. <laughs> um, and then you know I, I, I think it's important to acknowledge even though I, I think for you there were performance limitations to this aspect of the movie but it's important to acknowledge that these folks are in a hostile environment yes that where they are is is they're sort of lost in the weeds so to speak they, they've moved to this New England town um, and I think in our current context if I say New England, a small New England town everyone's thinking like a cute place with B&B, you know what I mean? Like This is like Salem's Lot. Yeah, this is a scary place of yeah. old white men who hate you. Yeah. Like, they pull into town in a hearse, and the old men are like, well, fuck, fuck these people. Like, they're, like, angry at them. To be for, clear, none of these old men are, like, if I saw these guys today, I'd be like, get the fuck off my porch. Like, I'd shoo them away with a broom. But I think there's an aspect of that, which is that she's never at ease. No, not at all. She, in town, is afraid of them. Yeah. At home, she's afraid of herself and of how she relates to these men. Mm-hmm. And then Emily comes in representing this like dark past too. Because so uh, basically, what they eventually found out is that the house that they've purchased has a dark history, which of course it does. But um, what house doesn't? Yeah, but you know, what I mean, it has a dark history, and there's rumors about an, an undead girl who may or may not be a vampire. And as you look at the picture of this family, it's so clear that Emily is the girl in the picture. Yeah. It's like really obvious. And I think that makes Emily's already, I mean, at first Emily just seems like a, a weird hippie type, like a weird, uncomfortable hippie basically. And as the movie moves forward and you make these connections to her and this uh, other person, it suddenly becomes less like just weird and uncomfortable and more like menacing and uncomfortable. And it culminates in the scene. There's a scene where her and Jessica are like sitting by the lake and she like pushes Jessica in the water. And then it's this weird combination of like, I shouldn't say weird because this shit happens every day where she's simultaneously like coming onto her and possibly trying to kill her. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it it just it builds and builds and builds to where she's like she's she's very intrusive and she's very aggressive and she's very up in Jessica's face and Jessica's like oh, no just don't 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 touch me just go ahead. I don't like this get away and then she's like grabbing her and like holding her underwater and it the scene's only like maybe 15 seconds long but it escalates so rapidly from like playful cute girly stuff into like this is this is making me uncomfortable watching. This is I don't like watching this. This is this is this is striking something in, in me that is I'm not okay with. And I don't know if that represents um Jessica not dealing with her internal whatever. Like whatever trauma she's dealing with. I don't know if if if, if Emily is like this is the uh this is Jessica not being able to just assimilate and fold into her psyche whatever horrible thing happened and it's like gonna kill her uh well that's but, the whole thing with the movie right like uh it, this is a movie about either a mentally ill woman who moves into a home with her two male friends one of which she's stooping uh and uh and then they moved to the wrong home because there's a vampire lady and she's vampirized the men all the men in town and they're all her undead army or is that what you got from this movie? Or Jessica's having a mental breakdown, and this is just all representative of her breakdown. See, sadly, I think it's the latter. I don't know. I I don't think the ending. I actually think it's the opposite. But the only reason I think it could be her breakdown is that weird voiceover where she's like, "Yes, was it real or was it only a dream?" I'm like, "The whole town tried to kill you. I hope this isn't a dream." Like, yeah. It, the 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 events that are portrayed in the film are so extreme that it's hard for me to handle the idea that like it's all just part of an illusion and then she wakes up in the boat and what she didn't kill her husband and you know there wasn't I guess I mean I I guess if it's if it if it if it didn't actually happen if this was all in Jessica's head then this movie is offensively portraying this movie is the archetype of the psychotic woman. Well, yeah, but I, I you know, uh, I, th- there's a difference between, for me at least, there's a difference between the psychotic woman as uh, the menacing force against the man, you know, so to speak. Like, Well, I was thinking more like the, the fragile, shrill, you know, Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. Like, sure. I'm... I, I had this trauma, so I have to retreat inward, and I'm so delicate, and I have to be saved. Right. Like that's what I that's what this movie represents. If if it, if it didn't actually happen, that's what this movie is. Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. I hope they're vampires. I mean, I think they are. I think that's what happens. It like I said, it's just it's a weird way to end. Is the the voiceover is a weird place to end? It feels like it. It just feels- so I I don't even if we really said so. I mean, she's basically attacked by Emily. Yes. Then she goes to town to try to find her husband. Uh, Emily uh, seems to attack Woody, but we don't know for sure. They She finds Woody dead. Yeah. Well, before that, though, she gets back to the house, and the husband's there, and they're in bed, and she notices he has a cut on his throat. Yes. And then Emily comes for her with all these men. And the men, I assume, are people she's vampirized. Yes, her minions. And then, and then they find Woody dead, and then she, she tries to get across on the ferry, and they wouldn't let her on the ferry, and she gets on a boat, and then an arm comes out of the water for her, and it's it's the husband. Who's, why do we can't, can't remember his name? I know Woody. Uh, Woody's a weird hippie dude. Her husband's the, name 
is Duncan. Duncan. So she. Do you know what the Do you know what the antique dealer's name was? What? Sam Dorker. Jesus Christ. Um. So when the arm comes for her in the boat, at least for me, I, th- I was thinking it was Emily. Yeah, so yeah. It's yeah. kind of a surprise that it's Duncan. Unfortunately, it's not a skeleton, like a cool skeleton arm, like it is in the poster. Because in the poster, no. there's two skeleton arms, like reaching out of the, up the boat, and she has a sword. No, that's a hook. Okay, yeah. But no, it's just a hand, and then she jabs down in the water, and that's her husband. And then, did it happen? Or was it all a dream? She was only 16, reading, I don't know, the Biggie Small song. Anyway. Was it all a dream? I used to read Word Up Magazine? Word Up Magazine. There we go. Thank you. We're culturally aware. We're woke. Rap attack, Molly Mall. Rapping Duke. <laughs> so, uh, this... Uh, I let my tape rock to my tape pop. God damn it, Liam. <laughs> uh, no, so... Blow up like the world trade. You can't say that now. That's a bad thing to say now. I'm just saying that's a line in the song. I know. Well, we can't say it now. We're, We're going to judge. You're going to 17 be, years because of, of the events of 9/11. You're going to judge one notorious B.I.G. Very true. That's bullshit. So fuck George Bush. <laughs> I'll co-sign that. George Bush doesn't care about black people. I'll co-sign that too. <laughs> so no, this this movie it has the feeling of like. Again, if you look at a painting, okay, I, uh, let, let, me, let, let me focus myself for a second. When it comes to art, when it comes to painting, I am an open-minded person, but I see something like a Jackson Pollock painting, and I'm like, what is that? I don't get it. Maybe it's me. And then there are like, quote-unquote, abstract paintings that I'm like, that's not traditional, and it looks like it's a mess, but I couldn't pull it off, and it looks good. That's how I feel about this movie. It's kind of sort of all over the place, and it feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be, but I have the feeling that it is exactly what the filmmaker intended, and that nothing in this movie was accidental, and it all was supposed to be where it was. It wasn't like in Curtains, how Curtains was just this like fucking wet tissue paper mess of a movie that had 40 plot lines that went nowhere. Like This movie all felt very purposeful and, and, and direct. Not direct. Purposeful and... Ah, that's a, that's that's what I'm looking for, I guess. Efficient? Of, not efficient, because it was sort of like willy nilly all over the place, but it was all still like you're like that's exactly what they wanted, is what I'm trying to say. See, yeah, I didn't feel like it was willy nilly. I felt like it was. Um, I guess this is an overused term, but atmospheric in the sense of it was setting a mood. Okay. So okay, um, and we'll get into this when we talk about the next movie. I just think when you're making a a pretty low budget movie. Both these movies seem to be pretty, pretty low, low budget. Yeah, let me see if I can get a um, not not high high special effects sort of movies. When you're making a movie, a hard movie like that, you could go super extreme, just really sort sort of uh, just shock people and push them and whatever. Or you can kind of create an atmosphere, like a mood, like a kind of scary whatever. And I just think that's you know, let's scare Jessica to death is not a is not a movie about excitement. It's not even the even the the most dangerous sequences, so to speak, like the most immediate, let's say, sequences, are not that visceral. They're no, they're disturbing in a different way. This know? this I also think a lot of the fear and a lot of the scaring of Jessica. I mean, of course, there's the scene with the the the, the woman underwater, 
But I think a lot of the fear for Jessica comes from the questioning of her own sanity, which is something that not a lot of horror movies do. Like, there there is that common thing in like horror movies where they're like, like gaslighting is like a, is a theme. But this movie, better than a lot of films, really captures the existential terror of questioning one's sanity. Right. Uh, so it's definitely successful in that because there's not a lot of like horrific imagery in this movie. It's all about making you empathize with the main character who is very likely going out of her mind. Well, I think the movie though plays off of certain strengths. Like, uh, I think Jessica's perform the actress who portrays Jessica's performance is partly what carries the movie. Absolutely, it's it's not. Um, it's not a hysterical performance. It's a subtle performance. It's a performance that has layers to it, in my mind. No, again, this is this is not this is not um, this is not what's her face from Night of the Living Dead being like Johnny didn't come back. He's he said he'd come back, and he's, this is not like you know this is not falling back on like uh, hack cliched bits of what it's like when someone is actually having a mental breakdown. Right. It's far more nuanced than that. Uh, and so I think that I think the director very insightfully relies on that relies on the setting i mean it's you know all new england towns are spooky period uh and kind of relies on um his own i mean not his the cinematographer's eye that a lot of what happens here is not necessarily in any sort of like witty dialogue there's no like witty repartee so to speak no it's about certain scenes kind of hitting a visceral note and doing that very well. Yes, absolutely. And creating a sense of, of dread, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think that that um, knowing what he has is part of what makes the movie work in, in that it's like, w- w- okay, we're not going to get an explosion. We're not going to get some sort of like fast-paced super cut. You know there's what I mean? no, There's no... There's no moment in this movie. There's no Quint getting eaten in this movie. There's no, you know what I mean? There's no John Hurt having his chest ripped open in this movie. No head. There's no moment in this movie. It's all about this like undeniable sense of ramping up and then it just stops. Which uh, is not a very orthodox approach to a horror film, but it, in this case it works because you feel afraid the whole time. Do you know what the working title of this movie was in the United States? What? <laughs> it's the worst title for a movie I've ever heard in my entire life. What killed Sam Dorker? What did kill Sam Dorker? Who cares? That's the that's the answer to that question. <laughs> so I guess that's I guess that's let's scare Jessica to death. Yeah, I I, I uh, um I would definitely recommend it. Absolutely. I think if you're again, if you're looking for like high octane excitement uh or crazy gore effects i mean that's not this movie yeah if you're looking if you're looking for a movie that's like um oh very graphic very intense well intent no i take let me take let me take intense back because this is actually a very intense film i think yeah i mean one of the most disturbing sequences though is a woman walking out of a lake in a white dress yeah it's and simple you just and know what that means but yeah. the way it's shot the significance of it and the moment at which it happens, it works really. We we're like, oh, oh, yeah, you know, it's 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 striking, as they say. Well. So I guess we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about 1986's quasi biopic. Wait, is it is it 
1986? It was released in 1990, but it started filming in 1986. Whoa, that's right? crazy. That's nuts. That's what you get when you have no money and you're, you're shooting when you can. Yeah. So we're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to talk about 1986 slash 90s Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Otis, plug it in. Did you really kill your mama? What? Did you really kill your mama? I guess I did. She must have treated you real bad. She was a whore. Susie! Susie! You used to dance naked? Sure, all the time around town. Otis. Best little naked dancer you ever saw. You never. You telling me you never killed anybody before? I ain't saying that. Open your eyes, Otis. Look at the world. It's either you or them. You know what I mean. Do that, Otis. She's your sister. I feel like I know you. Like like I've known you for a long time. I feel like I've known you forever and ever. It's like the blood droppings from a deer you've shot. And all they gotta do is follow those droppings and uh, pretty soon they're gonna find that deer. I interrupted this man. Ah! again now we are back and we are back to talk about <laughs> 1990s chilling biopic henry portrait of a serial killer portrait of a serial killer starring michael rooker who was in uh, you know some stuff you might have seen him in guardians of the galaxy guardians of the galaxy the walking dead. the walking dead slither he was in cliffhanger i forgot that he was in cliffhanger yeah. He was in the dark half. He played Sheriff Alan Pangborn, something that him and Ed Harris and the other guy, Scott Glenn, have in common. So, uh, so yeah, he was in those movies. And then also starring Tracy Arnold, who uh, was in a bunch of TV, uh, Baywatch, The Borrower, Sex, Love, and Cold Hard Cash. Three of my favorite things. <laughs> and then motherfucking Tom Towles, who was in... First and foremost, the remake of Night of the Living Dead as the most hated character in any horror movie ever. Fucking hate Cooper. I don't give a fuck. Cooper wasn't right. Go fuck yourself. Then he was in The Rock, so another he was in another movie, another movie with Tony Todd. And then he uh, he did a bunch of shit with Rob Zombie. Uh, he was in The Devil's Rejects, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, and he had a bit part in Halloween. Oh, and he was also in Rob Zombie's... Um, the thing, the Grindhouse trailer that Rob Zombie did? Sure. Okay, so that's what those guys... Uh, Werewolf Women of the SS. That's correct. So, uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is a loose, and I use loose very, very, very loosely, uh, loose story of the serial killer Henry Lee Lucas and his killer friend, whose name in real life was Otis, but in the movie it's Otis. Um... Henry Lee Lucas was a guy who 
killed either no one or everybody. He would say, like, I killed, like, 10 people. Nah, I didn't kill anyone. I killed 30 people. No, I didn't kill anyone. I killed more people than Galactus, you know? And then he would, like, recant and all that shit. Uh, on a personal note, I didn't really... The person that scared me most out of these two guys, and I think maybe it was because it was... Uh, maybe it's why Otis creeped me out in this. Uh, Otis Tool in real life was the guy who killed Adam Walsh. John Walsh's son cut his head off. I didn't mean to say that so nonchalantly. It was a horrible thing and a terrible way for a child to die. Not that there's any good way for a child to die. I'm talking too much. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, Otis Tool is a, is a fucking nightmare. And Tom Tal's playing him in this movie was equally nightmarish. So this this is just a movie about uh, Henry, who is this... He's like a like a exterminator or something. And he has an apartment with... Uh, Otis and Otis's sister comes to stay there and then there's this like weird like Henry starts to fall in love with her Otis is already in love with her and then we just see their uh Henry's further descent into murder and mayhem and he starts dragging Otis in as a willing very willing uh accomplice and uh what's her name state is it is her name Stacy Becky yeah Becky um, Becky is just sort of like collateral damage in all this. Uh, Liam, you you saw this movie before me. How this how how did, how did this movie? How did you feel about this, and why did you pick this movie? Because Liam picked both these movies. Important to point out. Did I pick them? You picked both these movies. No, 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 no. no. I put them on a list of movies that I thought would be good to cover at some point. True. You picked these two movies as two movies you hadn't seen before. I don't know that. I'll take your word for it. Stop it. Um, so for me, Henry is interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, the first time I saw it, I actually liked it a lot. Um, I think what set it apart for me at the time, it was that a 24-hour horathon was the first time I saw it. Okay. And I think it was the brutality Um a lot of times when you're at a long horror event, there's just a lot of schlocky movies, a lot yes. of goofy movies. And don't get me wrong, I love a good goofy horror movie. Yeah. I'm not one of these, it has to be dark. But Henry, Henry, and knowing that Henry started filming in 86, comes out in 90, it is almost the anti-80s horror movie. Yes. Everything about it is like, we're going to take all the grit of the 70s. Yeah. We're going to smush it into some 90s themes, mm -hmm. and we're going to shove it in your fucking face. And I appreciate that. Yes. Now, I'll be honest, on this second watch, um, there were two things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. One, uh, one of the attack sequences, so we, we start to follow them, uh, the two dudes. They're, they're now murder buddies. They're murder buddies. And we follow the murder buddies, and there's one attack on a family that it just goes on, and then they watch it later on video. Yes. And I just feel like, I think at the time, you know, it's important to keep in mind. So you've read Paperbacks from Hell, Grady Hendrix's Yes, I have, yes. I would recommend other people to read it as well, as well as his new book, um, We Sold Our Souls. Uh, but I bring those books up because they both set a context for what was going on in the 80s leading into the 90s. And specifically in horror, and I think Henry 
is related to this movement, but it's not quite as extreme as this movement. Also, I don't. I'll, I'm gonna let you finish. The director of this movie also directed Wild Things, starring Kevin Bacon, Matt Dillon, Nev Campbell, and Denise Richards. I didn't know that. Go on. Uh, at this time, the late '80s, moving into the '90s, uh, the splatterpunk movement was sort of getting going. Okay, and I think Henry, though not specifically a splatterpunk movie at all, is resonant with it you know kind of like how uh kind of how like elvis costello is not a punk but you get why punks like elvis costello uh yeah okay this movie is a sut is that sort of response like it's like a let's get brutal and offensive let's (laughs) really push the boundaries and i'm sure the first time they filmed that scene it probably felt very transgressive in the sense of like it's not fun. It's unpleasant. And it's representing a real dark thing that happened. Yes. And I'm sure that felt really good. But watching it, I'm kind of like, it's too much. It's too, it's just too much. Here's, here, even knowing that it represents reality. Like they're representing. Yeah. They're, they're, so it'd be easy for someone to say, what really happened? I mean, I'm not saying the director would say this, but if someone could say, well, what really happened is even worse than what's in the movie. And I'm like, I get it, but you're not showing me everything. You're choo- When you make a movie, you're choosing what to show. Yes. And in my opinion, you could have the same effect and have that sequence be shorter and instead show us other things about who these people are than just that. That that was just how I felt. The first time I saw it, I didn't think this. I'm, think- I'm saying this is how I felt the second time I watched it. So, uh, and then the other thing, and I think we'll get into this more in a little bit, is um, the movie kind of because there are things that are very gross about Otis, <laughs> you end up not sympathizing, but you relate to Henry more. The movie's structured to relate to Henry yes. more, and then I think very effectively it pulls the rug out from under that because there's a moment where Henry could be more human, and he cannot possibly actually the movie almost the movie almost as um, pulls a magic trick on you where it's like oh are you sympathetic for this character well he still is awful like yeah and i like that that's very effective but part of me is like ah, i don't want you to do as much as you do I, i'm okay with the idea that this girl likes him and yeah. is willing to maybe give him another chance and he can't take that chance in order for that to happen, he doesn't have to be noble. And I don't think the movie pushes him towards noble, but it bounces him. Basically, what's his name is so fucking gross as Otis. Yeah, Tom that you inevitably are like, oh, no. Henry's not that bad. No, this movie, I'll, okay. <clears throat> this movie definitely makes Henry noble. It doesn't push him towards noble, it makes him noble. How there's the scene where um, Otis is like, He's like being lewd towards Becky, yeah. and Henry's like, "Hey, don't do that. You show some respect." And it's like, it, it it injects this core of like morality and nobility into him that like it completely it it, it romanticizes him. Mm. It makes him. There's no need for that movie. There, there there's there, there's there's no, no there's no need for that in this movie. I really it would have been far more effective if it just would have straight up portrayed Henry as a completely immoral inhuman person Hmm. who uh was maybe struggling with the urge not to kill but the fact that they had this thing where he was like oh like sure i'll videotape my friend raping and killing a family and then we'll go out for for um what's the recreation recreationally murder people and then kill a guy for a tv sure we'll do that but 
don't talk bad to your sister. Like, it just seems ridiculous that, like, Henry is completely okay with and encourages the worst that Otis has inside of him and the worst that he has inside of him. But at the same time, he's like, no, Otis, don't be mean to your sister. Like, eh, I don't know. I'm not buying it. It just came off as a little too, like, we don't have the guts to make this guy a complete fucking monster, so we're going to, like, water it down and make him... Well, I think what they're trying to do is is make the ending that much more effective in the idea that, like, she's giving him some way to be human and he can't possibly do it. But they could have done that without making him. They could have They could have made... Right. The, this movie could have been about Becky, who is trying to reach yeah. some part of Henry that does not exist at all that she yeah. believes that he has this core of something inside of him that's not there this humanity that just doesn't exist and ultimately because it is tragic it is tragic that she ends up um she ends up dead and it is haunting where he's like looking and even that scene when you know like he's like looking in the mirror and it's like is he struggling with some inner urge is it like i don't know i'm just like no i don't think i don't think he he doesn't have a conscious it just i it just it it, it rings insincere to me um, and I had said earlier in this episode that a lot of times people confuse intense and extreme for good. Mm. And this movie, while I enjoyed it, this movie definitely has the DNA of like Rob Zombie movies mm. where he, 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 he conflates something as intense as, as good filmmaking. There were so many scenes in this movie where I was like, that could be in a, and I don't know, maybe it's because Tom Tazzle's in it, but like. The scene where they're videotaping the fucking assault on this family, and then the scene where um, Otis gets stabbed in the eye, and I, I remember was, I was like, Jesus Christ! I wasn't like, Oh my God, this is so intense, in my heart, I can't take it. I was more just like, Oh, okay, we fucking get it. Like, you know, like, ooh, you're gonna scream and th- thrash on the floor. Like, that just that was to me something like straight out of, straight out of Rob, out of a Rob Zombie movie. I don't know. I I I think I got to disagree on that one. I like that part. I think I like that part more than than I'm not um, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not saying I necessarily disliked it. I'm just saying that it reminded me of certain scenes of like Halloween 2 when Michael Myers is like stabbing that nurse and she's like there's the close up of her face as she's like crying. And you're like, "Oh, I get it. It's so Ooh, she get, you know, it's like he's going there. We didn't think he'd go there, but he's going there. I just I don't know. I I see that's how I definitely feel you about that when it comes to the attack scene. I thought the eye stabbing thing was just that didn't strike me as weird at all. And and if there's anything in um in Rob Zombie that kind of represents that, I wouldn't hold that against this movie. That just felt like an intense it felt like something that worked for me for how, where the movie was going. I thought the attack scene was a moment where a movie that is, not that it's not an exploitation movie, because it is, but like, okay, let's compare it to uh, the, the so uh, Otis is not really a murderer. He's just a weird, creepy criminal guy. He is like a, Henry is an active predator. Right. Otis is a willing sidekick. Yeah, but I mean, there's a moment in the movie where he has not really... I mean, he's killed some people for criminal reasons. Yeah. He hasn't really killed anyone for pleasure yet. That's what I'm saying. And then they they go out on this date. They pick up some prostitutes. And Henry, he just... I mean, literally, he just can't make love to somebody. Like, he just, had the, he just has to murder her. He just can't. Yeah. 
And uh, so he ends up killing the woman he's with. And then when the woman that Otis is with freaks out, he kills her. That scene is super intense and gross, but not nearly to me as performative Yes, as the attack scene. And I get why the attack scene is meant to be, you know, but I actually think that scene is far more effective to show me like something about who these characters are. Yeah. Something about what the director is saying is the reality. Now, of course, it's important to know in case you're confused. Neither of these characters are probably anything like the historical figures they're portraying. Oh, Michael Rooker is far too good looking to be Henry Lee Lewis. <laughs> right. So the, the director's making decisions about who these people are yeah. and the story he's telling about who he wants them to be. So I think that's partly why I think we both are to different degrees unhappy with the portrayal of Henry just in the sense of like he doesn't need to be good. He no. He needs to be more relatable than Otis for us to understand some of their interactions. I mean, I could look out the window and see a pile of dog shit that's more relatable than Otis. Right. But I, but I, he doesn't need to be good. I, but I'll also, I think that scene, though just as brutal, is way more effective for me yeah. than this drawn out, torturous, whatever. And even in that scene, we get a note with Henry because Otis wants to basically molest the corpse of this woman. And Henry's like, no, you don't, you don't do that. You yeah. don't do that. And it's like, ah, oh, come on. Like, uh, again, even in that, maybe Henry wants to be like, maybe you want a character who's like, who doesn't want him to do this thing. But the way he tells him not to do it, it's so, it's like, it is moralistic. Henry's relationship with Otis is like, Otis is a bad dog. And he's like getting Otis in line. Whereas like a more believable reaction would be like, if he treated Otis like a friend who picks his nose. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like that's gross. Oh, come not, on, man. Don't yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, don't. Like, oh, that's fucking disgusting. Yeah, yeah. That's different than, that ain't right. Yeah. That ain't right. Don't do that. And like, I, I guess what it boils down to is that Michael Rooker is very good. He's very good in this role, I would say, uh, in, my, in my estimation. But it's not consistent to me. It's not clear to me that Henry has a consistent character. No. Because they want this guy to be both a brutal predator and a moralistic traditionalist. I think it also has um, strains of the... It's not quite at the charming serial killer archetype, um, but it's there. There's a touch of it. You know, there's a touch of like the... It's not like the Dexter where there's like this guy is a fucking cold-blooded murderer who kills people and he fucking likes it. But he's got a soft side because, you know, he only does it to the people who deserve it. It's the same, it's that same sort of like cheap tone of where it's like you're resting a movie on a character who is by all rights completely, the most unlikable person possible is a serial killer. But... Again, I keep going back to how it has this sense of like hesitation and and not cowardice on the filmmaker's part because I don't think anyone would sit through a movie that was just like 90 minutes of just unbridled, undistilled sociopaths just like doing horrible, horrific shit and like liking, well, maybe now, I don't know. Um, but I really think that's like a big weakness of this movie is is that it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't 
the two sides of Michael Rooker in this movie are so fucking inconsistent with each other that it, it it's 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 striking and it's almost distracting. Well, I would actually suggest I'd be okay with the moralistic Henry if they could figure out a way to portray his violence as being excuse me. Um more involuntary. Like I get the idea that like he's murdering these women because he when he gets close to them something comes out in him whatever very cheaply by the way because of his mom it's always the mom yeah um i get that idea but then when he talks to otis about it he makes it so much about pleasure i mean the scene where they're watching the videotape they might as well be jerking off you know what i mean and so and you know i i guess from what we know about serial killers there is a relationship between an urge that is involuntary and then a pleasure that you find in that urge. Like I get that, but I think the movie thinks it's making an, um, a, a very deep point about that, or it's, it's making a profound statement about that. And in reality, it's not really doing that at all. And what I'd rather have is either a Henry who is consistently dark. Yeah. Or a Henry who is doing something, like we could and have seen portrayals of serial killers who are killing involuntarily in some sense that some part of them is pushing them to do something that they don't want to be doing. That's how Jeffrey Dahmer was in real life. Right. You know, I mean, that's what I think made uh, my friend Dahmer so compelling is like right. there's the there was the, the blueprints of a, of, a, of someone who was like, there is something wrong with me right. that I know was wrong with me and I don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel, but I feel helpless and it's overtaking me. This was just sort of like he loves what he's doing. That's he what I'm saying. Fucking is. loves it. But then when he does, uh, yeah. So I, 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 so I get all that. I just didn't find it as I think as distracting as you did. Like I think it really. I just, I mean, movie. Michael Rooker was great either way. Like yeah. honestly, he's such a good actor that when he's doing the whole thing of, don't do that, Otis. We don't do that. Like you're like, oh man, that's a really good performance. But a few seconds ago he was videotaping Otis as he fucking choked a woman out, you know, and like right, broke, right, like, right. I'm just like, which, well, which one is it? Like, what is it? Are, are we, are we this tortured soul who is, who is a slave to his own desires that he doesn't want to be? Or is he just a completely inhuman fucking monster? Who's like, you know, life is a ride and I don't give a fuck who I hurt and I'm just going to do whatever I want. And Otis jumping, like, let's go destroy a bunch of shit. This movie can't make up its mind who, who what it wants to be. And I think that the the problem for me is something you kind of hinted at, is that it'd be a much better story if it was focused on just Henry and Becky with Otis on the peripheral. Yeah. But it, they introduce Becky, then they take her out of the movie so they can focus on Otis and Henry. Yeah. And then she just comes back at the end as a problem. It almost makes it like, yo, if Becky wasn't around, Otis and Henry could have just been fine. They would have been fine. <laughs> Otis but she has to come around being human, and, being a and, woman, and wanting to fuck Henry, which yeah. is like why. Uh, so, I, in other words, I think that <laughs> I think that the movie, I still find it pretty compelling in in what it is. But I think that it w they would have avoided some of the problems I think you're identifying with it if they had created more space for Becky and pushed Otis out. Now, again, I understand why not. The, what's his name who plays Otis again? Tom Towles. Tom Towles is a very compelling scumbag. So I get why they keep putting him on <laughs> what, screen. What did his, uh, his <laughs> IMDb say? Uh, a character player, a character player often playing scumbags or obnoxious men 
that define that's Otis right there. But I get it that he is compelling enough that you want to keep putting him in your movie. Um, whereas the actress who plays Becky is fine, but I think that if if you, I think they miss something by not having her in the movie more. If they want to tell us something about, if we're gonna believe that there's anything about Henry to be saved, yeah, I thus making the ending more powerful yes you know what i mean the, the ending's chilling it's and i think yeah. the ending might have been what sold me on the movie the first time i saw it yeah but it's less effective if there's really not much to care about with becky you know i also think honestly because this movie start they started making this movie in 1986 this was not long after they you know they captured henry Lee lucas so i think this might have been an example of like this was all over the news that this guy had done this shit. Mm-hmm. And then this filmmaker was like, I need to make a movie about this guy. Yeah. Cause this movie doesn't really, it, it doesn't hinge on like, it's undeniably inspired by Henry Lee Lucas pretty much in name only. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't, you know what I mean? he doesn't really matter who he was. Who really was, yeah, I mean, it's like the, the, I think the only thing it, there was like, there was the three characters, they're named the same as they were in real life. And he killed his mom. That was it. Everything else was just like, Nah, you know they even moved the lo- lo- the location up to Chicago, so I I don't know why they like I I think this movie was definitely inspired by, uh, you know actual Henry Lee Lucas, but it just seemed like they didn't need to make it called fucking Henry and Otis, like it could have been any other character, like it could have been like any any other, it could have been fucking Liam and Justin, you know doing fucked up shit. And uh, I don't know. It just it, like I, I think it, it may it may have been one of those examples of where it was just rushed, even though it took four years to make. But this this guy saw this and jumped on that right away, and and then and then rushed into making it, and then they just had this weird. Uh, I need to make him like a noble a noble savage. Well, but this is partly what I was saying before is that it's part of this. Uh, a like I said, related to the splatterpunk movement of being transgressive, but also B, the whole serial killer thing. I mean, this starts prior to silence of the lambs right mm-hmm. but not prior to the book silence of the lambs no the book silence of the lambs came out first that's what i'm saying but this movie wasn't before the book when did the book come out i think the book came out in the early 80s like 83 something like that yeah so i think that what silence of the lambs really kicks off this serial killer obsession like the urbane suave serial killer well, the well, the point being is that by the '90s, the entire bubble of horror fiction had burst. Yes. If your name isn't Stephen King, you better be writing about a serial killer. Because if not, we're not publishing your fucking book. Yeah. Like it, you know, killer dolls or you know whatever, aliens, Sasquatch, fuck all that shit. We need a killer. We need a killer, killer, killer. And I think honestly that Henry, even though it started filming in '86, I think it was also partly a response to that trend yeah it definitely captures the early obsession like the early 90s obsession with with the with the serial killer it was kind of it's it, in a way it's kind of brilliant because i'm sure it was more inspired by the fiction that was just getting going in 86 absolutely yeah but when it comes out in 90 it comes out at a time where people are ready for those sorts of movies yeah yeah so you know it's riding a wave and i think in that way I almost mean this as a defense of it a little bit to say like it's of a time it's of a it's of a time and it represents a transition um 
and some of that transition is towards really i think some negative things that kind of go down in horror a little bit like not just horror but filmmaking that like um if something is like angry and intense enough it's good that's what i'm saying no no i'm so i'm so i think i see that that as well uh but i don't know it's i i kind of said this before on cinepunks but i'll say it here as well uh it it kind of makes me think of cave-in okay uh like pre-jupiter cave-in until your heart stops okay okay is the fucking magnum opus of metalcore okay period just i don't like where you're going with this but go on the fucking the fucking you know patient zero okay and yet so many things that borrowed from it are the worst things that happened to music in the history of music yeah i think that's what a little bit how i feel about henry is that like as sort of the progenitor of extreme things in a certain direction I actually like it. I like parts of it a lot. And there are decisions I don't like, but I think a lot of it is very effective. And what I don't want to do is blame it for the fact that I think into the 90s, movies tried to copy this movie and fucking failed horribly. Like what? Uh, Just, I I mean, I wouldn't even say Rob Zombie because I think he's from a later period, but I just think there's a lot of like trying to be extreme 90s cinema. Okay. Uh, especially independent cinema that is related to this movie that like if we're just sort of sort of i mean this movie is kind of, could be seen as kind of cruel even though we're accusing it of being too i mean we're basically accusing it of being too sentimental okay yeah but yeah, it's yeah. sentimental towards henry it wants henry to be and you know and that's another problem in the 90s of like let's humanize the sociopath let's yeah. make the sociopath kind of charming and whatever whatever um but i also think there's an idea of like the way we make a movie a movie like Henry better is to be more cruel. Uh, and I think there's a cruelty in some of the attack scenes here that I get it. Like I get why that seems effective. Um, but I don't think, I think it's easy to then point the finger. I wonder if there's, if it's, there's an inclination on our part to point the finger at Henry for future crimes. Like I see the seeds here of something that's going to suck. Yes. But it's not Henry's, it's not the makers of Henry's fault that those movies are no, shitty. No, but I mean. Again, it's not Caven's fault that uh, fucking Avenged Sevenfold is a crime against humanity, but. No, that's a terrible analogy. No, I think it's a great, it's actually the perfect analogy. I don't know if I'm willing to let uh, John McNaughton off the hook that easily. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, <laughs> he made a distinct choice in, in, in the way some of these are portrayed. Yeah. And he jumped. He, I still think he saw an opportunity with what he saw unfolding in the early 80s and decided to make a movie about it. Mm. And then when it was released in the 90s, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think it was all. It's not like this movie made a lot of money. So if he no, was working the system, he didn't do it so good. No, but. I, this is a this is I don't, I don't know this is this is a movie that it's not as well known as Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth or whatever, but this is definitely a movie that similar to Let's Scare Jessica to Death always pops up and people are like, man the most fucked up movie you ever see fucking Henry Porter's movie's fucked up, and I, I think that's kind of what McNaught was going for, but didn't have the stuff to go all the way. 
Whenever you do this, like you do this, like a uh, guy you're having a hard conversation with that you wish you weren't having a hard conversation with, which is every person I have I'm, a hard I'm conversation. Al- I'm with. always like, why do you have conversations with so many people with Punisher neck tattoos? <laughs> like you've always got this like fucking um, like ICP fan prototype who's like, you know what's real brutal? No, have you ever seen no, 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 no. Toolbox murders. They or- always have the Black Widow. You know what? What the Black Widow tattoo? That like, oh, what's the Jesus. fucking French word for yeah, it? Yeah, 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 they, yeah, that yeah, guy yeah, has it. He's yeah, like, you yeah. fucking, you think it's fucked up? Like, have you ever heard of American guinea pig? Yeah, oh, you ever see fucking Sallow? You ever see fucking uh? Do Serbian those dudes film? really like Sallow? I don't understand the acceptance of Sallow by fucking bro hard dudes of like just because they're shitting. Like Sallow is actually. I'm not even saying like you should. A, wa- I'm it not, it I'm looks not, beautiful when there's not horrific shit not, going on. I'm not saying that you should like this movie or that you should even watch this movie, but Sal is actually a very subtle, intelligent film that also has human shitting in it. And so, like, when someone tells me they like Sallow, I want to know who they are as a person because it's like, you like Sallow, huh? How do you feel about Human Centipede? Oh, you also like Human Centipede? Okay, I so know you, you are. So you have garbage taste in film. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, I think people just like Sallow because, like, quote-unquote, fucked-up shit happens, and not because they're like, hmm, this is a delicate, you know, take on fascism. That's that's what I'm saying with this movie. Is this an examination of the duality of man, the struggle with our animal nature? Again, or- again, every crime, every deep, disturbing transgression of the 2000s is in until your heart stops every single one and yet i will not disown that movie or movie album i think that henry stands on its own and it makes some mistakes but i think that it's still strong on its own okay and i won't blame it for all the things that are borrowing from it that are really bad you cannot blame that in which the name of sins are committed. <laughs> Depends on what it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I, uh, let's put it this way. I'll blame Ayn Rand, but I'm skeptical of people who blame everything on Nietzsche. Okay. There are folks who are like, without Nietzsche, you don't have fascism. And I'm like, yeah, you probably still have fascism, actually. <laughs> have you ever read Nietzsche? No, you haven't. Yeah, exactly. But so, uh, but that, do, what I, well, I guess much like with Nietzsche, that doesn't mean I think it's this is perfect. Like I do think there are some errors here that are serious, and I hope if you love this movie, I hope I, I haven't bummed you out too hard with those. No, but I mean I just this, think that the, I think those things are, are are make the movie less strong for me. This is not a bad movie. I did not not enjoy watching watching this movie. I have some problems with the movie, but I won't say it was bad. It's it's it it's shot create. I mean it's 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 it looks interesting. I, I, from cinematography, it looks interesting. Sure, it's got some interesting choices. I just wish that they hadn't gone in one direction, fucking eighty miles per hour, in the, in, down the wrong lane of the highway. While at the other hand, you know they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Is what I'm saying, and I don't, I don't like when movies do that. Yeah, it should just eat cake. I agree. So I guess that's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, starring Michael Rooker and Tom Towles. <laughs> Yeah, it has like three. There are like three characters in this movie. There's a number of actors, but there are three characters. Well, there's you count the building manager who looks like. What's crazy about this movie is, and I think this is probably true of other movies, is that um, because a lot of it is shot among poor people, 
It's hard to tell what year it is. Like when he's talking to that building manager, that building manager's outfit is from 1974. Yeah. Like at that moment, you're like, when was this movie? Filmed? And the TV they get is like from the fucking early 50s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just it's just one of those movies where it's like, I don't know when this is supposed to take place. It's also the Midwest, so it's like this timeless sense of like brown. <laughs> And, you know, mutants out there. No, yeah. I'm kidding. We might have Midwestern fans. We might. So that was Henry Portrait for Serial Killer. Uh, thanks out. Thanks always for listening. Thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Thanks to anyone who retweets us or recommends us on Twitter or anything like that. We really appreciate it. We can be found on Twitter and Instagram at theharbiz666. That's biz, B-I-Z, followed by three sixes, like the devil. Uh, <laughs> if you have any questions, complaints, criticisms, suggestions or threats, you can send us an email at theharbiz at gmail.com. Uh, when you listen to us on iTunes, please rate, review, rate, review, subscribe, and download, 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 download. And, as always, if you write us a five-star review, we'll read it on here and we'll say something nice about you. Even if you leave us a, like a... I, have you checked recently? Have we gotten have. any new reviews? We haven't gotten any new five-star reviews, no. Okay. Not since September, but someone wrote a, wrote a nice one. What was the one in September? Give me two seconds and I'll You definitely it didn't read it. We've never read a review on the air. So. Okay, so here we go. It's from September 1st. From Macabre Mouse. All right, Macabre Mouse. An amazing show. Interesting left-of-center film choices and two knowledgeable and charming hosts. Instantly one of my favorite horror podcasts. Although I do wish episodes were more, fa- were more frequent. When one drops, it's worth the wait. Five stars. Thank you, Macabre Mouse. If you're listening to this... Send us a message, and we will send you some cool free shit. So thank you for that. Um, do you have anything else to say? Uh, check out Exhumed Films' new events coming up. Uh, keep an eye out for um, episodes of other podcasts on this network. Uh, if you want to write us something interesting, uh, pitch stuff to cinepunks at gmail.com. Uh, and, you know, be cool, I guess. Yeah, stay spooky. <laughs> Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs> it's the shittiest sign-off ever. <laughs> All right, bye. Don't talk, just listen. Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network.